if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to the the book of Romans, the epistle to the Romans, chapter 8. And I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 17. We're particularly going to be looking at verses 12 to 17, but I would like to read the entire the portion which I've just given you. That's Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And we start with the most wonderful start to a chapter there is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, which we want to, which we will be looking at. Verse 12 to 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, for you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. This is the reading of God's word. May we come to him in prayer. Father God, we come before your holy and righteous throne again, Lord. We come to your word and Father, how we ought to tremble at your word. For it is the word of the living and true God. And it is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it pierces between soul and Lord. It is, it is able to make us wise unto salvation. And Lord, how we do not tremble as we ought. But Father, we thank you that we come to a merciful God. Lord, we pray that you will illuminate your word 
by your Holy Spirit, O Lord. Father, I ask that the first person who needs to hear this sermon will be the preacher. And Lord, I pray that it will edify the saints. But ultimately, Father, you will be glorified in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This evening, I want us to look at the doctrine of the assurance of our salvation. I think I am right in saying that this is probably the second time I have been here and spoke on this particular doctrine. Some of you may be saying, well, why are you wanting to revisit this again, Nick? Which I think is a fair question. And there are a few reasons why I would like to revisit this. First and foremost, we must realize that while we are in this body of flesh, we brethren are prone by default to go back to a salvation in by faith plus works. If we are not reminded of the gospel each day, we from our daily strive for holiness, see our great need as we examine ourselves and we can become discouraged with our walk and we forget that we are not saved by our performance but by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, this is not saying that we do not strive for holiness. We do. The Bible's clear. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. But that is not what saves us. If we are not careful, and I'm looking at my wife now because I am very guilty of this, we can become very introspective, see our daily failure our daily struggles, and we become weary, and we can even question our entire Christian work. And this is why the great reformer Martin Luther said this about his congregation. He said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people, because every week they forget it. Now, when Luther said that, he obviously doesn't mean they forget Um, They don't forget the, the doctrine, but they do become prone to add to Christ's finished work. Therefore, we must realize, my brethren, there is only one hero in the story, and that is Christ Jesus himself. Like I said last time I was here, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And brethren, we also need to realize this as well. We as Christians have a great and powerful enemy. This is sometimes, I think, very serious, and we really need to do consider this as brothers and sisters in the Lord. I know there has been much abuse in the charismatic churches regarding our enemy, and they say that everything that bad happens is from him. But even with these abuses, we must be clear. Brethren, Satan is prowling round, like a roaring lion, looking whom he may devour. I think we as Christians can forget this, especially us Reformed Christians. As I'm sure I'm in safe company here tonight to say, we believe that of the perseverance of the saints. We, we, we look at that doctrine and say, yes, a man is unable to lose his salvation. And that within itself should give us an assurance. Yet with that knowledge, I do believe at times, brethren, we can become sloppy in our Christian walk and we can become prime targets for the enemy. You may be asking, well, what do you mean by that, Nick? What do you mean by that? 
I mean the same thing as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, where he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, if we're familiar with the epistle to the Ephesians, we will know that Paul tells us the most wonderful truths about who we are in Christ. He tells that we were predestined before the foundation of the world and we have been blessed with every, not some. So some people talk about the second blessing. No, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And not only that, we have been adopted into God's family. He also tells us that God has made us alive in Christ beforehand. We were dead in trespasses and in sins, and we have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, and that the Lord Jesus is himself our peace. With all that encouragement, with all that blessing that Paul has given us and told us who we are in Christ, he then says here, listen, with all that being said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Why, Paul? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul is saying this, yes, that is who you are in Christ. You are secure, but be alert. You must watch and pray. The Christian must always watch and pray and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the wicked one. And undoubtedly, the enemy's great tactic is to make Christians like you and I unhappy to make them question their sonship and shake their assurance. After all, brethren, did he not question our blessed Lord? If you are the son of God, what makes is not going to, what makes you think he's not going to come to you here tonight and say, are you sure you're a Christian? What makes you think you're a Christian after you will, after I know what you've done? And not only that, brethren, as I've just said there, one of his names is the accuser of the brethren. He stands before us and God and brings to mind the sins that we have committed, whether before becoming a Christian and as we have been a Christian, the ones we've done after our conversion. He comes to make us miserable, accusing us and that we may end up questioning our whole faith. He does this to make us miserable. And when we are in this state, we as brothers and sisters, become totally useless in the cause for the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that, you may ask? Well, I'm, some of you have been Christians longer than me, but when we go through this, we don't want to evangelize. We don't want to pray. We neglect the word of God and become totally paralyzed. The devil and his demons are very aware that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if he can take that away from us, we are totally done for. He can't take away our salvation, thank God, but he can make us very miserable. 
So with this in mind, it brings me to the text which we have just read. We must realize as well, brethren, that these epistles are very pastoral from the Apostle Paul. He at this time is dealing with very real issues within the body of Christ. So the, the Apostle Paul is very concerned that these believers in Rome have this confidence that they are indeed children of God. So I ask you all here the question this evening, are each and every single one of you here assured that you are children of God, sons of God, living temples as the Bible says? Are we assured of that? Can you hear today say, uh, sorry, can you today say that the spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Or are we unsure with what that even means here today? That's the question that I put to you. Maybe also today you have been a Christian for many years and you have never had an assurance of your salvation. My prayer is today that if that is you, if you are indeed Christ, you will leave this, leave this place in worship and adoration in newfound joy. And if you have never struggled with this, as some never have, my prayer is that it will strengthen you even more to serve the Lord with all your heart, mind and soul. So, brethren, how can you and I know that we are in fact children of God? How can we have this blessed assurance? I confess I also must deal with this with some care. The last thing I want to do is to leave anybody here with something called a false assurance. Many people today profess the name of Christ and have a great assurance that they are indeed children of God when they ought not to have such confidence. Especially in the contemporary church, which tells people all they have to do is make a mere decision one time in their life and then they can live however they like. They have an assurance like you've not seen. But did not the Lord say, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did we not do this? And he will say, depart from me, workers of iniquity. Even within the scriptures, we see men who believed to a degree, but they were false Christians. We hear of Simon the sorcerer. He believed. He was even baptized, yet he was no more than a fake. His heart was not right before the Lord, and it proved, he proved himself to have no place in Christ. So there is a fine line we must look at. And I do believe that the Apostle Paul is dealing with this in the text that we have read this evening in verses 12 to 17. He's dealing with that very subject. Very similar to the Apostle John, he is giving us various tests to see if we are indeed showing the evidences of the new birth. I would recommend reading through the first epistle of John. But Paul here gives us three evidences of our sonship and all three are present if we are indeed children of God. We can't have one of these. We can't have two of these. All three must be present. And if all three are present, we can say we are children of God. Our hearts have been regenerated. We have been renewed and made alive. 
So this is which I want to look at this evening with you. And I pray that the Lord will help me. And I pray that the Lord will be a discerner of your soul this evening as we go through this. So this leads me to my first point. And I've labeled it led by the spirit. Led by the spirit. We read in verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Paul says in verse 14, as many are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God or children of God. Just a few verses back in verse 9, Paul tells us, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. In other words, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, or if we are not being led by the Spirit, we are not Christ. Because as we read in verse 14, it is those who are led by the Spirit who are sons of God. So Paul is assuming that we can know that we are being led by the Spirit of God. So the question is to us this evening, how do we know if we are being led by the Spirit? Now, does this mean that the Holy Spirit whispers in our ears and says, I'm leading you? Or does it mean we have a special revelation through certain gifts and he leads us in that way? Is that how he does that? Or is it that the Spirit leads us to the right job or the right decision on a mortgage deal? Is that it? I can tell you 100% that this is not what Paul is saying whatsoever. God does lead us in our day-to-day lives. Absolutely, he does. But in the context of what we are reading, it is not saying anything about this. Just because we have made the right decision on an important or difficult situation in our life is not proof that we are indeed being led by the Spirit. Many unbelievers make good decisions in business or whatever it is, and they do not have the Spirit of God. So what is the Apostle Paul here saying? Let us just read that verse again. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And that die is capital D die. That is die and you will go to hell. Paul is saying if you live according to the flesh, that's just the natural impulses from our fallen nature. We will die and perish. If we are living according to the flesh, we are not Christians. Paul says in verse 7 and 8, which we read beforehand, that the carnal mind is at enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot be. So then those who are led, sorry, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. So those who live according to the flesh are unregenerate men and women who are living according to the passions of the flesh, they will die and go to hell. But Paul says this straight after in verse 13, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's what he says. 
So let's read that all together in its context. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What is Paul saying here? The four in verse 14 is linked to verse 13. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So how can you here today know that you are being led by the spirit? And it is this, brethren. It's not a dream. It's not a vision. You will be led into war with your sin. That's what he's saying here. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death those deeds, you will live. For as many as led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you will know very well about this battle with sin. Some of you sat here battling against sin. Should just for a moment take that in. The fact that you are battling sin in your life is not an evidence that you are not a Christian. In fact, it's quite the opposite, my brethren. If you are putting to death the deeds and battling sin, it is very much an evidence that you are a child of God. It's only the Christian who is at war with sin. The unconverted man is never at war with sin. He is completely content with it. In fact, it never bothers him at all. It's just part of him. The man in the flesh does not worry about the absent of spiritual life. In fact, he ridicules it. He knows nothing in it. The natural man, as it says, does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Brethren, this should be a really comforting piece of scripture if you're in Christ this evening, because I know for a fact if you are in Christ, you will know very much of what I'm talking about, about this battle. You know it, the cutting off of limbs, the gouging out of eyes, the daily life that we live. That is what a Christian experiences. And if you know anything about this with the authority of scripture, you are being led by the spirit. Therefore, you are an adopted son or daughter of God. If you know anything about this fight with sin, let me say, sorry, if you know nothing about this fight with sin, you must be very afraid. When the spirit of God comes, he changes us. Yes, he does this by degree. This is not instant, but there really will be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Only the Christian hungers and thirsts for righteousness. If this is completely absent, I would say one thing, and Paul tells you to do the same thing. Examine yourself. See whether thee be in the faith. And I will also say this as well, brethren. This is not meaning that we are at war with other people's sin. This is something very personal. The individual must be at war with his own sin. It must be the greatest trouble in his or her life. The great John Owen said this, I do not understand how a man can be a true believer 
in whom sin is not the greatest burden. Can you hear today say the very same thing? Because if you are in Christ, it will be the greatest burden. And I must also emphasize that. Jesus says rightly as well, we shouldn't worry about the speck in our brother's eye. We must first remove the log from our own eye and how we all can be guilty of that. Now, just before I move on to my next point, I do not want anyone to be discouraged in this. We in this battle will fail. Yes, it is a daily fight with sin. Does this mean then if we fall into sin, we are not being led by the spirit? Absolutely not. But please hear me. I am not giving room for continual lifestyle in sin that you keep going back to. This is a battle. I heard an analogy from uh, Pastor Tim Conway, which I found really helpful about this. Now, I'm not reading this word for word, but he said something along these lines. He said, if there was mud and muck and we got a pig and we threw that pig into the muck, what would the pig do? He would lie down. He would swim in that a bit. He'd be happy in the muck. But then you get a lamb, you get a sheep and you get that sheep and it falls into the muck. It falls into the pit, which we do, brethren. But what does the sheep or the lamb do? He gets up. He wants to get that muck off him. He shakes it off. That is the supernatural of, that is how supernatural the rebirth is in the Christian life. And I think that really does help us with that. And that analogy really helps us about what we're talking about this evening. We as Christians will fall and do fall, but we do not stay there. We hate it and we do everything we possibly can to be rid of it. We confess it to God and we forsake it. The righteous man does fall or may fall seven times, but what does he do? He rises again. So that's our first test, brethren. If you are being led by the Spirit into war with sin, we have the Holy Spirit. And we know that he is a guarantee of our inheritance and we are children of God. That is the first test. The second test is this. I have uh, give it the heading. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So we come to verse 15 and 16 and we read. For we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are in, sorry, that we are children of God. This here, brethren, I must admit, is one of the most wonderful evidences that you are in fact children of God but I do believe it gets ignored. That is when we are born again, we see God in a completely different light. In verse 15, it says that we, are no, we no longer have the spirit of bondage to fear. What does that mean? Does that mean we're not scared anymore? We never get scared? It's not what it's saying. We are no longer in bondage to the fear of death. Before we are converted, we have a spirit of bondage. We live according to our own desires. We sin and we love it. 
But when we come to see the realization of death and judgment, just be, usually just before conversion, we have this fear of death and we, we see God as righteous who will judge us and rightly so send us to hell for the crimes that we have committed against him. So Paul is telling us, we Christians no longer have this spirit of bondage, but we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, what does this mean? Again, this is something that if we are Christians, we should and will be doing on a regular basis, maybe without even your conscious knowing of it. We are people who cry, Abba, Father. We cry out to God, not as some distant entity, but our Father. Some of you may be saying, so you're telling me, Nick, uh, anybody who says the words Abba, Father, they're a Christian. Absolutely not, brethren. We could not get away with that. We could get anyone on the street of Christ to say the words Abba, Father, and they would not be a Christian. Not at all. So what is Paul saying here? And this is where Christianity very much does become experiential. We cannot fake this. We could get anyone, as I said, on the street to say Abba, Father. But Paul does not say the word say. He says the word cry, Abba, Father. When we get into trouble or we see the battle of this Christian life, do we have an extreme urge to cry out, Father, Father, I need you. Father, help me. Father, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Brethren, that is the spirit of adoption. That is the Holy Spirit calling out. The unregenerate man does not see God as his father. The carnal man may say when he gets into trouble, Oh God, oh God, help me. But he doesn't cry out to God. As father, only the one who has the spirit of adoption falls on his knees and cries, Abba, Father. And Paul makes the same sort of statement in First Corinthians when he says, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say Jesus is, a Lord, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, we know anyone on the street can just say the words, Jesus is Lord. But if we are born of God, they cannot say the words, Jesus Christ is Lord, unless they have experienced that new birth and mean it. It's the same thing as crying out to our Father and to our Lord Jesus Christ with great affection in our hearts towards them. The unregenerate man has no affection in his heart for God the Father and God the Son. So if you are here today and you can say with absolute conviction, yes, that is me. I am crying out to my father every single day. You are born of God because the spirit is therefore bearing witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. Brethren, this must not be passed over. If it was not that important, the Holy Spirit through Paul would have not emphasized this point. In fact, brethren, 
He emphasizes this again in Galatians where he says, but when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Then the heir of God through Christ. Paul to the Galatians is saying the exact same thing as it says in Romans. We really can have our theological heads on sometimes and miss such simple things like this. If we are in Christ, we should be rejoicing at this as we will be a people who are crying to our Father daily. I'm not saying we say the word Abba at the beginning. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we cry to our Father. We have a longing affection for our Father. They're called the religious affections. We can't muster these up. They can only be given by the Spirit of God. So if we are people who are crying out to our Father, we are sons of God. And not only sons, but heirs of God through Christ. Wow. That should take our breath away, brethren. It really should take our breath away. Because if we are Christians, we will see very, very well the battle of sin. We will see our daily need. But we have been given the right by Christ. And he has put his spirit within us, whereby we cry out, Father. And God is just too happy to listen because not because of us, but because of what Christ has accomplished at Calvary and rose again on the third day. Blessed be his holy name, brethren. And that leads me to my final heading. Provided we suffer with him. Shall we come to verse 17 and we read, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So the next test is this. We are putting to death the deeds of the body. The spirit is bearing witness with our spirit. We're crying out a father. The next test is this. Provided or indeed, if we suffer with him. Brethren, I think in the day that we are living, the doctrine, and yes, the doctrine, it's not an add-on, the doctrine of suffering has almost been completely removed from the contemporary church. We are told things in the modern day church or modern day Christianity, especially in the prosperity gospel of the day, things such as God has a plan for everyone to be happy, healthy, and prosperous. I honestly do believe, brethren, this is one of the reasons we see so many false converts in the day that we live. Many upon many so-called church leaders and evangelists are saying such things as, God will give you your best life now. Become a Christian and all your worldly problems will go away. So what do people do? They make a confession of faith. They make a profession of faith and they see that all their problems do not go away and they become upset and they abandon every notion of Christianity altogether. I think the Lord puts it in the parable of the sower. They receive it with joy, 
but there's no root. No root, stony ground. So when we get to passages like this, we must take this into consideration that yes, suffering is part of the Christian life. Do we know that today, brethren? How often do we just skip over these passages of scripture? Because let's be honest, they make us feel uncomfortable. I think today Christian people are too comfortable, are we not? We don't have suffering. We don't have persecution like they did in the early church and during the Reformation. Nevertheless, we are told that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. And let me also tell you this, brethren. Let me tell you this. It's not just expected that we will suffer. It's also been granted to you to suffer. You may be saying, well, what do you mean by that, Nick? I mean the exact same thing as the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29. He says, for to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So it's not just expected, brethren, it's granted to us. Just in the same way it's been granted to us to believe on Christ. It's a gift of God to you in Christ today, given to you in Christ Jesus. I'd like to see that message be preached from Joel Olstein and Kenneth Copeland and see how long it takes for the money to stop in those churches. The Bible also takes it one step further, brethren. It says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James 1.12. Blessed, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1.12. Now that doesn't just mean temptation of sin that means trials tribulations and accusations from the enemy the lord ourself even said this did he not blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice rejoice be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brethren, friends, we cannot get away from this. This is the lot of every Christian. Suffering. It's a gift of God for you today. We cannot get away with it. Now, does that mean that I've got to go out on the streets of Christ and preach the gospel and get some persecution? Does that what, is that what it means? Brethren, not necessarily. It can mean 100%, but it can come in many different ways. It is also just as much persecution, brethren, that when you are assailed by the fiery darts of the wicked one, that is persecution. Have you ever had that today as Christians? The devil will come and throw all his ammunition at you. He may come implanting blasphemous thoughts, doubting thoughts, which you don't want. Some of the greatest saints that I can think of were assailed by the same things. Two that just come to mind, John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon, and Martin Luther. So conscious of the devil that he picked up that ink pot to throw at him. That's persecution as well. 
He brings your past sins that you have committed, tries to convince you that God no longer loves you and he harasses you with these thoughts. Brethren, that is a form of persecution. It is. We tend to forget about that. You know, that's what Paul was saying in the Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. You need to be strong because you're going to come against the wiles, the schemes of the wicked one. But even more practically than that, we all in this life are going to suffer, believer or unbeliever. Every single one of us will suffer grief, illness or persecution. And this is the test which Paul is talking about. Are we here today willing to go through the sufferings of this world with Christ or are we to be like spoiled children who say, why is this happening to me? I deserve better. God, is this, is this how you treat your children? Is that how we're going to be? Is that how you treat your saints? Or are we going to be like Job who says this, though he slay me, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Yet I will trust in him. How are we to react to our suffering brethren? This is what it is talking about. You may be asking, but why does God do this to his children? Why does he let us go through such trials and tribulations? And I think, brethren, if we can look back on our Christian life, this question may be easier to answer than we might think. When these things happen, when trials and tribulations come, how much more are we inclined to run to the arms of our heavenly father? These things make us run and go, Abba, Father, I need you. Let me ask you this, brethren. In your Christian life, when has it been the most you have grown in sanctification? I can almost guarantee you. It is not being when the bank's full, the children are happy, everything's going well. No, it's been when we have been brought to our knees. It's when we've been brought to the realization of who we are and that makes us grow. When things are going well, brethren, we start to go, I'm getting on pretty much okay myself. We start to forget God, do we not? We start to we start to try and do things in our own strength. But when suffering comes, Abba, Father, help me. Lord Jesus, I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour I need thee. Now bless me now, my Savior, as I come to thee. Is that not the Christian experience? I think the Apostle Paul is teaching the exact same thing when he says this in Philippians 4. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is why God puts his children through suffering. We become reliant on him. We become like the woman who clings, who clings to the hem of Christ's garment and says, never let me go, O Lord. Why do you think he lets us fall into sin sometimes? I'm not saying God ordains sin. No, we sin. We sin. God allows it to happen. But it's so we can come back to our knees 
and say, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, for I am mine iniquities, against thee and thee only have I sinned. God allows us to feel the burden of our sin sometimes, so we run to him and we can see how much we are in need of our God. So this is the test, my brethren. Are you indeed willing to suffer with Christ? Are you willing to count the cost, take up your cross daily and follow after Jesus? And if you are, be assured that the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. Therefore, you are a child of God. As if this is the case, brethren, you will be taking up your cross by putting to death the deeds of the body, crying out, Abba, Father, for help in doing so. And he who is able to keep you from stumbling will remind you of this wonderful, blessed promise. The next verse from verse 12, from verse um, 17. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. If that is you today, brethren, I have the authority, not from myself, but by the word of the living God to tell you, you are indeed Christ's. Be assured when you take your last breath or he returns in glory, he shall wipe away every tear that you have ever, ever broke. And he will embrace you and he will not wise cast you out because you have the evidence here. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. We have been sealed and it's the spirit who helps us through this pilgrimage. So be assured, brethren, if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, crying, Abba, Father, and instead suffering with Christ, be assured, brethren, you are his and there is nothing that can pluck you out of his hands. Absolutely nothing. But if that is not you this evening, maybe you've been listening to this message and going, I'm not killing the deeds of the flesh. In fact, I'm still living for the deeds of the flesh. I look forward to the deeds of the flesh. Brethren, eternity is a long time. Eternity is a very long time. We must make our election and call sure. We must do. If we are not putting to death the deeds of the body, we are not being led by the Spirit. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. If we are not crying out, Father, if we are not having intimate time of prayer with him, longing for him, I'm not saying it's perfect, brethren. Please hear me. I'm not saying that this is sinless perfection. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about desire and a will. I'm talking about that which is in us, that innermost innate innate feelings to cry out to our Father. And if we don't, and if we're slack, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is that not the cry of us, brethren? But we say this, take our hearts, take and seal it, and seal it for thy courts above. But if that is not you today, friends, I can honestly say it's very, very likely you have no part in Christ. And if those two are not true, you will not be willing to suffer for him. So if this is you today, friends, I urge you and I beg of you, 
Do not kid yourself. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cry out for mercy and his promises, brethren, that he will no wise cast anyone out. No one who comes to him will ever be cast out. That is a promise, brethren. So let us examine ourselves and see if we be in the faith. If you are, praise be to God. Serve him with all your heart, mind and soul. But if you're not, come to Christ today. If not today, when? If not today, when? Blessed be God's holy word. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your holy word, your holy throne. Father, your word is truth and life. And Father, I want to pray for each and every single person here today, Father, that we will make our calling and election sure, that we will look upon these things and see if they are so of ourselves, Father. And Lord, I just pray, O oh Lord, that they will be so. And Father, I pray if there are anybody be here today who found wanting, O oh Lord, that thou be merciful in thy, in thy glorious grace. For you are God of a tremendous mercy who loves us with an everlasting love. But Father, if that is us, Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would make us strong against the wiles and the schemes of the devil that you would make us, make us, uh, call us, call us to war, O oh Lord. Help us to put on the whole armor of God. And Father, I just pray that you will be with us the rest of this week, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.